Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. We'll be looking at the book of Philemon again. We have covered the basis for our acts of reconciliation, and that's our union with Christ. Paul says that it was everything that was working in Philemon that was causing everybody around and even Paul to have good things said about him, about the effectual means of his faith. So the basis, the foundation, where this reconciliation was coming from is his union with Christ. The source where this reconciliation was being pulled from, we saw last week, was the love that Philemon had. And again, we understand that love came from his union with Christ. That love came from the love that Christ had showed to Philemon. Then tonight, we'll be looking at verses 17 through verse number 20. And in that section of Scripture, we can see the cost of, of reconciliation. So in verse number 17, Paul writes, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee that thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. So Paul, again, starts out here and he gets to the place where he is going to ask Philemon, We've seen throughout these last 16 verses that Paul is laying groundwork, if you will, for this act or this ask of reconciliation. Paul has been beating around the bush, sort of. He is prefacing the whole conversation, which is something that I know about. I will preface things before I ask And it may take me five or six or ten minutes to actually ask the question that I intend to ask because I feel like I need to lay all this prefacing work. And that's what Paul's done. Paul has prefaced all of these things, but he's actually coming to the point in the text where he is asking Philemon for something concerning Onesimus. Verse 17 He starts out this ask, and he says, If thou count me, therefore, a partner, receive him as myself. The word that he uses here for partner is the same root as the word sharing that we find here in verse number 6, where he says that this communication of thy faith, this sharing of thy faith is heard 
And his prayer is that it be effectual. So Paul has said, I want this communication of your faith to work. And we get down to verse number 17. He says, if you count me as your partner, if you count me as a brother in Christ, if you count me as being together with you in this union of Christ, if you count me as being the same as you, if you see that our goal is the same, if you see that we have fellowship together, if we have the same mission, Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus like you would receive me. And we did see last week that Paul has laid forth this idea, this groundwork that Onesimus has come to Christ. So in a sense, Paul is saying, if you believe that I have trusted Christ, I want you to receive Onesimus like he has trusted Christ because he has already said that he has. We see throughout Scripture this, this theme played out in Romans and 2 Corinthians in multiple places in Paul's epistles. Paul asks the churches that they receive one another for the sake of Christ. Reconcile with one another for the sake of Christ. Well, the rubber has met the road for Philemon and Paul's ask of Philemon. He's saying, I want you to receive him just like you would receive me. And in that sense, I want you to receive him just like you would receive Christ. Paul not only explains that he wants Philemon to do something, but he even goes a little bit farther than that, and he begins to intercede on the behalf of Onesimus. So he doesn't just ask Philemon, please take Onesimus back, but he starts to intercede for him. He starts to lay himself on the line. He starts to put his money where his mouth is. He says in verse number 18, if he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. <clears throat> this almost suggests to us that Onesimus probably had done something wrong toward Philemon. Just thinking through this myself, if Onesimus left the area of Asia Minor, and he got to Rome, he probably took something to get there. He probably had some kind of money or some kind of means of transportation. I doubt that he hitchhiked all the way there, which I guess would have been possible. But somehow Onesimus got from Asia Minor all the way to Rome. So odds are he probably did take from Philemon. But even if he did not take from Philemon, the way that the Roman culture would have worked is Paul or whoever took him in, that person would have been accountable for the work that this person missed while they were gone. So in a sense, if you were harboring someone that had ran away and that was found out, not only would you be in trouble for harboring a fugitive of the law, 
but you would be accountable for everything that was missed by that person's leaving. To put it a little bit into, I guess, a modern day perspective, if I kept somebody from being at work and this person gets paid $10 an hour and they miss eight hours that day, then I would be accountable to pay that company back $80 for the time that that person missed. I know that's not an exact comparison, but that's basically how the laws then would have worked. Paul would have been accountable for whatever Onesimus missed. But Paul makes himself accountable for whatever Onesimus missed. Paul wasn't just harboring him to keep him away from Philemon. And obviously we know that because he sent him back. But Paul tells Philemon, anything that he owes you, put that to my account. In verse number 19, Paul says, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. If we look back to verse number one, we can read, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Most likely, and we know this from some other books in the New Testament, most likely Paul was not responsible for writing down himself all of the letters that were sent. Throughout some of the different epistles, we are given clues that Paul had people transcribe, transcribe things for him. Probably similar to the book of Hebrews. That was a joke. So, Paul was here, and most likely Timothy was transcribing this letter to Philemon for the Apostle Paul. But what seemingly Paul does here in this text is he takes the pen from Timothy and he writes down this with his own hand. He says that in verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. What exactly Paul wrote, I don't know. Maybe it was just IOU in big letters. But Paul was putting his name his livelihood, himself on the line for Onesimus. He was giving a personal guarantee to Philemon that whatever loss had been incurred, he would make himself fully financially liable for that. And one thing that makes this even bigger than what we may think is Philemon was a wealthy man. We understand this because of the clues, again, that were given in this letter. He had slaves. Not only did he have slaves, but his house was big enough to house an assembly of people. He had a church in his house. And I know that it is different now that, you know, it's not necessarily uncommon to find a family living in a house that's four bedrooms and 2,000 something square foot or bigger than that. But then that wasn't typically the case. You had a room or two rooms that you dwell in if you were on the lower rung of society. But Philemon's house was big enough. 
I doubt they put them all in one room. Philemon's house was big enough that he was able to house an assembly of people. So odds are Philemon probably was a man of considerable wealth. So it wasn't that Paul was just saying, hey, you know, I got you. He was putting, again, putting his livelihood, putting literally himself on the line for Onesimus. But Paul does a little bait and switch here in verse number 19. He says, I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besized. Basically, Paul says, anything that Onesimus owes you, I'll pay it back. But I'm not going to mention that you owe me everything. Again, we understand from this that Paul was most likely the one that actually led Philemon to Christ. Paul probably in a little bit of a humorous sense, is basically saying to Philemon, look, I'll pay whatever he owes you, but you kind of owe me your eternal life. So let's, let's before we get too hasty, let's weigh this out on how much he owes you compared to how much you owe me. Because I think that maybe my, my resources, what I've stored up on your behalf, is probably enough to pay for his debt. Now, Paul doesn't come out and say that exactly, but basically that's what he's getting at, is that I'm not going to mention everything that you owe to me, Philemon. Because, again, he owed Philemon, or owed Paul everything that he had, spiritually speaking, because Paul was the one who brought the gospel to him. Again, this is an important section in this list of verses because Paul, again, I I know I've said it, but Paul is literally putting his money where his mouth is. He's putting himself out there. He's not just saying with his own words. He's not just airing. He's not just blowing smoke. He's saying, look, if need be, I'll do this. This is the, this act of intercession that Paul is making on Onesimus' behalf. Verse number 20, he continues and he says, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Paul says here that he, again, almost in humor, let me have joy out of what you're getting ready to do. He says, don't worry about what you owe me, but let me have joy in seeing what is getting ready to happen. It's interesting, and we we talked about this some last week, but the name Onesimus means profitable. But the root of that word is the same word that we have here for the word joy. Paul is literally saying to him, again, in a little bit of a humorous way, let me have profit of thee in the Lord. Let me have Onesimus of thee 
in the Lord. Let me see what's getting ready to happen. Let me have that joy in my heart, knowing that you are going to reconcile with a brother. Paul had rejoiced already. And we see that back even in verse number 12. He said, whom I sent again, thou receivest him, that is, mine own bowels. Verse number seven, he says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee. So Paul is speaking twice here about the joy that he has and the joy that he (laughs) desires to see because of the love of Philemon. So he's already heard. He said, we have great joy because of your love. Our heart is is helped. Our heart is encouraged. (laughs) Because all the saints are being refreshed by thee. And again, in verse number 12, he asks, he asks of Philemon to let him be refreshed by your receiving back of Onesimus. Paul uses this same language in verse number 20. He picks up this word, bowels, which means heart or inner being. And he tells Philemon to refresh him again. By bringing Onesimus back. By showing reconciliation to him. In a sense, Paul has said, look, Philemon, I've heard. My heart has been encouraged. Down deep inside of me, I am encouraged because of the love that you are showing to the saints. And I want to be encouraged by the love that you are showing directly to Onesimus. So he asks again in verse 20, to refresh him, to refresh him in his bowels in the Lord. He says, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Paul, down through this section, is reflecting on these things that he has already seen in the life of Philemon. And he is asking that these things not stop but that they be shown specifically and intentionally. You know, Paul, again, Paul is putting himself out there for Onesimus, but he's asking Philemon to do the same. Philemon likely had some duties in the church that he had in his house. And he was showing that on a broad, on a corporate spectrum. He was showing that love corporately. When people talked about Philemon, they talked about what a loving person that he was. But Paul is asking that it doesn't just stop corporately with you, Philemon. I don't want to just hear corporately how your love is showing forth, how the love of Christ is coming through you, but I want to see this personally on a one-to-one basis Not just on a one-to-one basis with someone that you know, but I want to see this on a one-to-one basis with someone that has hurt you. Somebody that has done you wrong. Somebody that has taken from you. Somebody that has went in direct opposition with you. I want to see the love of Christ played out in that way. And with that understanding... With that vision of the gospel, 
we can take this text and we can look at this text in order to gain the application from it, but not just that, but to see the gospel in the text. Throughout this section, and it's a shorter section than, than that we've taken before. But no, note here how Paul models the transforming love of the gospel. Specifically, in verse 18 and verse 19. 17 and 18, I'm sorry. He says, if thou count me therefore partner, how does he say to receive Onesimus? Receive him as myself. Then what does he say? If he owes you anything, put that on my account. Hopefully we hear the gospel enough that we can start to pick up what Paul is doing here, we can start to pick up how the gospel plays out in our life. What has Christ done? The, the, the sin that we owed. When we want to go back to kindergarten level, we want to go back to the bottom, we're sinners, right? We've all sinned. We've all sinned today. What did Christ do to take care of that sin debt that we owed? Did he owe it? No. He didn't. He took everything that we owed and said, I will repay it. Yeah. Anything they owe, I'll take care of it. But even farther than that, and the point that we miss oftentimes... What does Paul say in verse 17? Receive him as myself. Christ has not just paid the debt that we were owed, the debt we owed for our sin. He did not just take that debt. The receipt of that, he says in the book of Colossians, he nails through it. You know, the same way that if you go to an old-timey gas station or convenience store, what do they do when, they, when you pay your bill? They take the receipt, the payment of that bill, and they stick it through that peg that's sitting on the counter. That's what Christ has done with your debt. But if you don't have a job and your debt is paid, you got back up to ground zero, but now you got to work your way, Right? That's not what Christ did. He didn't just pay our debt. But the Bible tells us that he has put on us his righteousness. That's the reason that he came and lived the perfect life. He obeyed all the commandments of the Father. He submitted in every way to the Father. Again, don't get me wrong. The cross is a massive point in history. But without the righteousness of Christ put on us, we still have no hope. Right, right. Yep. We're just to sea level again. We just get our head above the water. Christ, though, has given us his righteousness. He has given us everything that he is. If you were to ask 
my younger kids who have been in the class on Wednesday nights, ask them what justification is, they will tell you, yes, justification is just like we never sinned. But it doesn't stop there. It's just like we never sinned, yes. But as far as God is concerned, and again, we miss this. It's just as if we are Christ. That's what we have been given. When God looks at us, he doesn't just see sinlessness. He sees his son. And that's what Paul is saying to Philemon. When Onesimus comes, don't just see somebody whose debt is paid. See me. That's what Christ has done on our behalf. That is what Paul is asking Philemon to show. And he's doing that by showing it himself. He's not just commanding Philemon, you need to act like Christ. He's saying, I am acting like Christ. You act like Christ too. Because we're the same. If you consider me a partner, if you consider us being in this together, this is what Christ has done for us. When we grasp hold of the gospel in our minds, this type of reconciliation is what comes out of us. Again, Paul is not just, and he had the authority to do that. Paul isn't just commanding Philemon, do this because I said so. But he's showing him what the gospel has done in his own life by picturing it in front of him. This is what we are called to do. In Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 7, Paul writes to the church there, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Anytime we come to a point where there is a lack of reconciliation between us and someone else, we are called to look back to redemption because redemption is what will produce reconciliation he's redeemed you through his blood he's forgiven you of his sins and he has given you the riches of his grace in first peter peter tells us this same thing when we come to this type of issue he says first peter chapter 2 and verse number 24 who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Again, this, this section here gives us a complete parallel between what Christ has done and what we are to do in light of what Christ has done. It's not just, again, not just doing this for the sake of doing it. It's not just doing it because it's the right thing to do. We are doing these things and we are acting in these ways because that is the way that things have been done to us. This is the way that God has acted towards us. We were in the same shape as Onesimus. We were, had made ourselves enemies of God. We had set ourselves in direct contradiction to God. We owed God. 
because we had directly broken his law. And not just that, we were actively working against him. We set ourselves in opposition to him. We owed him and we were acting in that opposition. We weren't just bystanders. We had picked up the weapons and were actively working against the creator of the universe. What did he do? While we were his enemies, while we were in our sin, he loved us and sent himself. That's what Paul is calling Philemon to see, to understand again. Paul, in asking Philemon to reconcile his brother, reminds him of the gospel. Because that is what transforms us. And we can't miss that even in this small letter. That it's the union that we have with him. That it's the love of him that produces everything in us. And that when we come to these things that are difficult to do, we're called to rehearse the gospel and then reflect what we have rehearsed. We're reminding ourselves of how Christ has acted toward us and we are then reflecting that action. It's not us. We're acting as the reflector of what was already done. Hopefully you're picking up on what I'm getting at here. Paul is only asking Philemon. And I'm not saying that it was, would have been easy for Philemon. I'm not saying it's easy for us to do these things. Paul was only asking Philemon to reflect Christ. He wasn't asking him to be Christ. He wasn't asking him to do something outside of the bounds of Christ. He said, just reflect it. Just take what was done and let your life be the reflection of those things. You see how that kind of takes the stress out of even this situation? He wasn't asking Philemon to do something odd or something that was unheard of. He was literally asking Philemon, look, I'm showing you what was done for you. I am reflecting what was done for you. Now just reflect it. Just show it out. Just let it come through you. You don't have to produce any of this, Philemon. And we don't have to produce any of this in us. We don't have to produce the things that we are called to do. We are just called to reflect what has been done to us. Yes. Put it down again. We'll put it down on the bottom. When we are out in the world, out living our lives, the scriptures are not calling us to be something that we have to work up. Right. It's just calling us to reflect what has been done. Yes. One of the verses that we hear a lot of times that can strike fear in our heart, where Paul calls and he says, 
work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we hear that and we're like, oh, I, gotta, I, better, I better work hard or I'm not really saved. I better work hard to show people that I'm saved or nobody's going to believe it. Maybe even I won't believe it. God probably doesn't believe it. Paul, even in that text, is calling the church there to work out, to reflect out your salvation. That's what we're called to do. We're reflecting out what has been done to us. The book of Colossians, we see the power of this in Paul's words. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man hath a quarrel against thee, even as Christ forgave thee, so also do ye. Again, I, I challenge you. Read through the New Testament commands. Read through Paul's epistles. I challenge you to find Paul telling the, any church anywhere to do anything that is not a reflection of what Christ has done for them. That's the reason that all throughout his epistles, he tells them what Christ has done for the majority of the epistle and then tells them how to reflect it. What does it look like whenever you are reflecting these things? Ephesians 5. It looks like husbands loving their wives. How? As Christ loved the church. What we see here in this text is bigger than just this epistle. It's bigger than just this book. It's bigger than just these three verses. What we're seeing here in this text is what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is about reflecting out the gospel. Showing others what has been shown to you. And when they look at you, they don't see you. They see the reflection of the one who did it for you. And we've covered that. That's the means by which God has chosen to bring the world to salvation. It may seem foolish. It may seem crazy. It may seem dumb at times. But that's how God has chosen to do these things. All throughout the New Testament. Again, I challenge you as you read the epistles, keep this in mind. Keep this understanding, this idea of reflecting the gospel out. Because this is what happened with Philemon. This is exactly what he did. Philemon reflected the gospel to Onesimus. History tells us that he eventually frees Onesimus. So obviously he didn't charge him with anything. And that Onesimus goes on to pastor the church at Ephesus. And they say of Onesimus in letters that were written in the first and second century that Onesimus was one of the most loving people that they knew of. You want to know why? Yeah. It's not hard to figure out. Onesimus was known as one of the most loving pastors in the early church because he had been shown the love of Christ yes. Yes. in his own life. It was that love of Christ that not only produced in him a trust to Christ, but it worked in him the kind of love where people looked at him and said, that is the most Christ-like man we have ever seen. Why is he like Christ? Because he was reflecting Christ. That's what Christ-like is. It just means that we look like him, and we look like him because we're a reflection of him. 
It's not something that we have run to when we finally obtained this position of being Christ-like. But as we look at the gospel, it transforms us. It renews our inner man day by day. It makes us more and more like Christ. So if we don't gain anything else from this section of Philemon, and we have one other place of Philemon where we're going to see basically Paul say hello to some people. But if we don't gain anything else from this section that we have gone through, let's remember when we come to things throughout our life, to look at the gospel. And again, if that's weird to you, then you just haven't been here. Look at the gospel because you have been promised that that will make you look like Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to be back.